Hello and welcome to a brand new edition of The Boarding Pass with myself, Murata Tesh, and as always, Ken Weeb. This is the end of April, turning into May, and I think over the last little while we've done a really good job of getting podcast guests that essentially I look up to. Today we've got somebody who's as Winnipeg as the BDI, um, and first... I got it. I got to know, Ken. Though, how how have you been since we uh, since we chatted with Todd Woodcroft last week? Yeah, yes, indeed. Uh, happy to be here. Uh, joy levels incredibly high. Uh, made my way outdoors uh, for a nice walk and uh, got closing in on ten thousand steps already. So great day, and my mood is only uh, improving with the quality of guests that we have on again this week. We've uh, had a great month overall, and definitely looking forward to uh, having Sarah Orleski on with us here today. Yep. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks for joining us. Longtime uh, Weeb's World partner, but more than that, a TSN lead reporter stalwart for, um, I think, since 2008. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, big thanks for joining us today. How are you holding in uh, without hockey and with life changed quite a bit? Oh, uh, I thanks so much, first and foremost, for having me on. I also appreciate that you clarified what the date was, because I think that now I look at it and I rarely know what the date is these days so i pretty much still try to remember if things are somewhere in the monday to friday sort of category and that's only because my daughter's a school age child and so i know when i have to have her doing school work but that for me is probably one of the biggest changes is i mean i think i'm holding up pretty well uh, it's been obviously a very big change for everybody uh, but having now juggle, trying to juggle this new look that we have going on right now in terms of you know uh, no sports but hopefully getting sports back soon but then also homeschooling as well because as i mentioned i have a i have a young daughter so that takes up a lot of my time are you made to teach right now like is that a role i, I don't know how the education system is, is treating things so are you doing the math and the english and all of that sort of stuff uh, well thankfully no, to an extent, because math was certainly not my forte, as any former teacher could probably <laughs> attest to. Um, but the so she has her school has sent um, every day sends through a list of what the responsibilities are for the kids in terms of their schoolwork. And they meet in the morning on a video conference call for about an hour and go through stuff. And then it is, though, I mean, we are there obviously afterwards making sure that her school works done or helping her out whenever it's possible and I don't know if you two were good math students <laughs> I was not but as I mentioned I was not at all I was uh, I considered myself very fortunate that in my grade 11 and 12 year and I don't know if every province does the um, provincial math exams but obviously I, my experience being here in Manitoba so I had the provincial math exam and because I had done grade 11 and 12 math in the same year I lucked out in that there was a snowstorm when the provincial math exam had to be done. And so they couldn't count the provincial math exam towards your final grade, which, not going to lie, benefited me in a huge <laughs> way. <laughs> so, <laughs> so never had you seen anyone so happy to have a snowstorm as I was back in 1998 or 97. Um Anyway, so but I so I'm trying to help my daughter out as much as possible. But math uh, certainly is not my forte, and that's the part that and French are the two areas where I'm struggling the most as a as a teacher. My appreciation, which was already very healthy, for the education 
educational system and the professionals that choose to do that has just continued to grow more and more because I could not do this on a regular basis. Yeah, definite shout outs to all the uh, all the educators Absolutely. out there, uh, whether they're uh, parents or the actual teachers right now. Uh, math, definitely not my forte either, Sarah. I know you, <laughs> you and I have traded some ideas for shows. I mean, what, uh, what have you been watching? What would you suggest to our listeners? Oh, well, The Last Dance is the one that is front and center in our so right now. I'm also... I can't say that I'm watching a ton of shows right now that I've tried to actually been, I've tried to read a lot more than what I was able to do in the past just because of schedules. And then this will really be incredibly shocking because I know I seem like a real wild child, <laughs> but um, I am known a joke that I'm kind of grandma or lesky. So I like to go to bed really early and <laughs> I'm kind of, so these days I'm trying to, my daughter goes to sleep and more often than not, I'm right behind her, but we've done the classics, did the Tiger King, uh, Ozark. Uh, those are kind of my, my favorite or Ozark Tiger King. I lost interest in, but, uh, Ozark's always one of my favorites and try to watch a little bit here and there, but I, we have Disney plus, which if you're have young kids, maybe, uh, people listening have as well and they have some really great national geographic shows on on ancient cities lost cities those sorts of things where they use modern technology to try to go back and see and kind of discover a little bit more about ancient civilizations and it's really interesting so stuff like that i feel you said that would help people who have kids but my eyes kind of lit up there like that sounds like the greatest thing for the nerd in me as well i, I would love to dig into that um <laughs> It's a great, I highly recommend it. <laughs> Once upon a time, I remember you going to bat for the book Bear Town. And so you said you've been doing some <gasps> reading. It's fantastic. What are you on to now? Or actually sell us on Bear Town for all you like as well. Oh, I love Bear Town. Kenny, I don't know if you've read that one um, before. It is tremendous. Um, actually, Todd Woodcroft, who I know that you guys recently had on your podcast, was my go-to in terms of getting book recommendations. So I would see him and I'd have to actually have pen and paper out because he would say, okay, you need to, and it was Beartown that he had first recommended to me. He said, you have to read this. And then after that, you have to read this book. And I recommend this book. Um, yeah, so anybody that's, you don't even have to be a fan of hockey to I think really enjoy uh, the characters and just the writing. Um, in Beartown and then otherwise lately I've read the book Wine Girl which is something that I felt I saw the cover and it was wine corks in the shape of a wine glass and I thought wow if that doesn't if that doesn't scream <laughs> being essentially social distancing and staying home right now <laughs> that was pretty much the only reason why I had originally got it and I really enjoyed that and then I've read I read American Dirt recently as well and I'm just in the process of trying to find a new book at the moment so i'll take any recommendations anyone has there you go i haven't read bear town yet but it is on the list uh, i was staring at the bookshelf after watching the last dance which i'm thoroughly enjoying as well and staring at my phil jackson mind games and think i might have to uh, give that a reread after uh, after watching the uh, jordan documentary which is fantastic uh uh, we another avid reader, Sarah Adam Lowry, was on yesterday. Uh, I mean, we've seen a couple of these Zoom calls. Uh, what did you think of Adam uh, and his uh, book suggestions uh, from yesterday's call? 
Well, I had to go Google them first because I wasn't aware of what them were. And so no surprise with the, uh, the books that he had given out. He's another one that I like to go talk to in the room periodically throughout the season where I'll just do the, hey, what are you reading? Because I always find what I find so interesting with Adam's choices is that, and look, I love a good John Grisham book times or that sort of thing but it's rarely are those the ones that he recommends and he always has such an interesting and wide variety of books that he's reading so he's always he's always a good go-to for it whether it be ones that are self-help books or ones about motivation and various things and we saw he did recommend the book of con right yesterday which i haven't read but i googled it afterwards and it looks really interesting so that might be the I might uh, take a sample of that one and see whether or not that one catches my eye. Is that the one that he referenced as a meditation book? That was what surprised me, or is that something else? No, that was a different one. So the book of Khan is about, and I had to look it up because I didn't even know if it was exactly how the spelling of Khan, if it was a last name or if it was a, or if it was C O N, which it's C O N, and it was it's um, about someone that had conned the FBI and. Some other ones, and I love, um, I love books and kind of shows or movies about stuff like that. So uh, that might be one that I take a look at. One of the things I love having actual—I mean, I love reading, just having a physical book in my hand. But my husband years ago, after getting tired of moving books from across the country back and forth every time we were moving, begged me to stop <laughs> buying and keeping books. And so, because I also don't let go of them, because I have this emotional attachment to so many of them, and they just stay in boxes, which was the part that irritated him the most, <laughs> because we would move them, he goes, we haven't unpacked this, and we have got, you've had these, you know, packed up from Toronto to Winnipeg, back to Toronto, all over the place. Um, so he bought me a Kindle as well, and I will say that one of the benefits I find of a Kindle is that you can do samples of books, so you can read the first, it'll send you a sample and you can read it and then if it's of interest, buy it or not. So I found some good ones there that I maybe wouldn't have tried otherwise. Um, you know, if you can't sleep one night or something like that, it's always, it's always fun to kind of peruse different types. Solid method. Another, uh, another, mm -hmm. another, another player you caught up this week with, Sarah Patrick Line, always one of the uh, more engaging, other engaging guys on the team. Uh, what stood out from that conversation and on what is the anniversary of the day the Jets moved up to number two in the lottery and, and acquired his services essentially through the draft? I went back the other day actually and rewatched his and I'd sent a... Yeah a link of it to Dennis Bayak said, I forgot just how great the interview was that he did where he was there lying on his side or if he's in bed with the long hair that he did um, for that draft preview show. It was so entertaining. Um, yeah. It, you know what? Catching up with him was great. As you mentioned, he's always one of the more engaging heirs and I have such a great appreciation for his dry sense of humor, and I love that he shows it on such a regular basis. Uh, so he just said that he's, you know, he's home, he's social distancing, he does go out golf. Kenny, you'd love that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so he's out trying to golf in the afternoons and that sort of thing. But um, he said it's not playing lots of video games. It's not a huge departure for him, or he hasn't found it a huge challenge because I guess he's likes to stay home a lot anyways but he's looking forward to the opportunity obviously if 
if hockey's able to return to be able to get back, but has just kind of been going about his business right now and we'll wait for when he gets the call. Sarah, one of the things and the the dry sense of humor line kind of got to me as well, because I, I love a good dry sense of humor. I, I love when Blake Wheeler gets right dry uh, and sort of has a little glint of it in his eye, but he's he's delivering a, a quite a deadpan line that can go a couple of different ways. And I think one of the, the touchstones of this last season that um, I really wanted to ask you about was that first conversation that you had with Blake um, because I felt like that almost that set the tone it cleared the air I was able to sort of think about that and and ask him follow up on that for a story that I did a little bit later as well and I just thought it was such a a touchstone moment to to start the season with and I'm wondering what went into that how do you how how do you build that relationship ask those questions and, and really have a sense of that open candor that you've developed with him well, so that one came to fruition that the, there is, uh, before training camp starts, we have being the regional broadcast rights holders, TSN, when the Jets do kind of what's termed their car wash day, essentially, and they go through kind of room to room, fulfilling their uh, requirements for broadcasters, for maybe for their own website, these things. So you just kind of, you have uh, on a 10-minute rotation, you have different players come in and come through and sit down. And that's where we'll get a lot of our content for that we use for different features or various things throughout the year. So you ask them a multitude of different topics. You go from everything from I don't know, something so that if you're thinking about doing, we did obviously the outdoor game this year, Remembrance Day. It just, there's, it's 10 minutes of randomness really. But um, I had wanted to do something with Blake and obviously there had been a lot of discussion um, about some of the issues that had been, or speculation about some things that had gone on last year um, in the room or with the team and Blake can be at times I've, he can be guarded much which I think that probably I don't know if the two of you have found as well. Um, so I knew though that going in, wanted to do something that he was going to be open to just talking about his leadership style. Uh, he's a private person often as well. Um, and so he was open to discussing his leadership style. So I wanted to ask him questions, but I think that that environment is kind of a, is a safer environment too. And I use safer only in that because it's broadcast requirements, I'm not, in that setting, I'm not there to poke and prod um, or kind of, if that makes sense. Like, I am, but not not to the same extent you would if you were in a scrum and say, if, I don't know, if I'm filing for Sports Center or something that's broadcast. And so there is a different tone that goes into just that environment than what it might be if you were just in the dressing room or something like that. And he, his comments I thought were great. They were a little bit unexpected. I wasn't sure exactly what he was going to be willing to comment on sort of thing. And I do think that it set a good tone. I think that um, I also, what impressed me most when you think about the comments that he made is that I felt as if this year he seemed publicly, the perception that I got when dealing with him was that he seemed to follow through with what he was talking about. And I thought he was very, 
his candidness about how he wasn't, he brought it home too much last year and it was impacting um, other areas of his life a lot was something that I wasn't expecting to hear, but I thought that maybe it was good for him and for everyone else to hear as well. Yeah. Blake is always, you know, usually quite candid, but you said he could also be guarded, but I agree with you, Sarah. I think in, in one-on-one conversations, which again are very rare these days, he, he can be just incredible in terms of his detail and passion for how he explains certain things and elements. And I think it was a huge step for him because we all saw it. I mean, Blake not only took it home, he wore it at the rink. Uh, every day as well that year where the Jets had the disappointment of going out in the first round after their long playoff run. Uh, I mean, his game face is on almost all the time anyway, but I think you definitely saw uh, him lighten the mood a little bit this year for sure. And I mean, another one of those players that was there to lighten the mood in the past, uh, obviously we've talked a lot in the recent weeks about Dustin Bufflin after the news that the termination of his contract has been uh, official. I mean, Sarah, what, what are some of your memories from dealing with Dustin Bufflin. I mean, going back to the car wash scenario, you're the last reporter that talked to Dustin Bufflin, uh, although, albeit in a different setting, obviously. Yeah, and I had no, I watched those a couple, well, when the contract was officially terminated, I went back and watched the interview that we had done because with Dustin, we all know, I mean, he didn't have a, he didn't have a huge desire to be dealing with the media on a regular basis, and which is, so his scrums were few and far between. And even for those car wash days, I mean, it was very hit or miss as to whether or not you would get Dustin coming through. And you never knew until the last minute, but he came through in, um, this year. And we talked about what it was going to be like with all of the changes on the blue line. And we discussed the the number of minutes that he might be looked at to play in the role and everything. And there was no indication. And even with hindsight being 2020, when I was watching it, I still watched and looked for any cues or tried to read into any of his comments, anything more that I wouldn't have obviously noticed back then. And I didn't see anything that made me think that things would have gone the way that they did, you know, 24, 36 hours after we had done um, our sit down for it. I loved dealing with Dustin. Uh, you didn't get to often, but if you got him on a one-on-one setting, I think, I mean, he's funny, first and foremost, as we all know, he has a great sense of humor for it, but he's just very real. He's just just a regular guy. But I think that the insight that he could sometimes provide on the game, I don't think that because of his demeanor sometimes and the way he carried himself that you don't I don't know if he necessarily gets credit for the way that he saw things with respect to the game and I always I found his conversations even if they were during intermissions in which I know that sometimes you know certain players actually are great for intermission interviews and will give you something and you walk away having had some insight into that previous period or what the mindset could be going forward and other ones you just get your very cliche answers but Dustin would give you something that he would break down the plays a little bit more tell you with a little bit uh, more honesty as to what he saw out there and I don't think he got I don't think he got enough credit for that but I always enjoyed it lots of laughs um, whenever we would get to talk to him so that dynamic will certainly I think it'll be missed in I think it was and will be missed in that room you know that fans will certainly miss him and 
I said, as a as a broadcaster, we'll miss them. We didn't get them often <laughs> on the on the intermission interviews or for features of that sort of thing. But when you did, it was it was always a good time. Yeah, I've I've had his uh, I guess scrum performances described to me as breaking a dish, so you never get asked to do the dishes again. <laughs> but there are definitely a few times where I thought to myself, and and we had Claude Noel on the on the show a couple of weeks back, and I think he used the word savant in terms of Bufflin's sort of unheralded genius. And I don't want to put words in Claude Noel's mouth, but I think that that was the tone was that this this player just saw things and played the game a way that other people didn't. And every once in a while, I got to agree with you. There were times where I thought like, wow, Dustin Bufflin just say that, and then you sort of you rewind and you go through it, and you're like wait a second, there, there, was a, there was a ton there. And rewinding all the way back to Adam Lowry as well, he's a player that, that strikes me in that, in a, in a similar but very different vein. And here's my explanation. I want to know what you yeah. think. And um, it's, he, he speaks in kind of a calm, almost monotonous tone until he makes a joke or something like that. But when he's describing things, yeah. it's pretty monotonous. And I, I've had fans and people tell me that, you know what, I, I didn't realize that Adam Lowry was insightful or I didn't realize that he was passionate. And then me oh. as a guy that transcribes Adam Lowry from time to time, he breaks things down in a perfect paragraph structure. All the thoughts are well laid out. They're supporting arguments. Like the guy just has insight that I think sometimes gets, uh, gets overlooked uh, by some maybe. And I, I'm wondering what you've seen from him over the years as well in that front. Oh, he is a go-to for me. Um, I absolutely, I make no secret of the fact that I love speaking with Adam Lowry for intermission interviews or just anything in general because that you walk away, he is one player that really regardless of the topic, I feel you walk away from speaking to him and you've taken something away from it. And I mentioned before the cliches and everyone knows about the sports cliches and the hockey cliches that we hear all the time. And there are certain players that rely on them as their crutch and their go-to nonstop. And so even though maybe because of how prominent their role is or that sort of thing, you need to speak to them because of that star factor. And yet you, you don't often walk away having learned anything. Whereas with Adam, there's always something there. And I'd say the same thing about Andrew Kopp as well. Um, both ones that I just, I appreciate so much because I understand that, and I'll look at it, I'll speak out not from, say, a day-to-day reporter standpoint, but from our broadcasts, that those, going back to those intermission interviews, everything, you've got players that are coming off that have just, everything is heightened at that point in time. They've just finished playing the period, emotions can be high, they're not thinking about what it is that you're really going to ask them, which is why I never try to ask anything that's too complicated depth because I appreciate where their mindset is at. And I feel the same way when I do football or any other sports as well. Uh, But I, I just find that with those two, you get again, a breakdown of what happened and you walk away with, it's not just, we need to play better. We didn't play well enough. They will break down for you what areas in particular. And I just think that if you actually, if you stop and listen to what both of them are saying in the majority of their interviews, you will take a lot out of it because there's a lot there that they give. Sir, you've dealt with a lot of coaches over over the course of your career. And I mean, we've been fortunate enough to cover a lot of playoffs and, and see some some great moments everywhere from John Tortorella to, uh, you know, <laughs> 
a lot of those uh, folks. I mean, uh, how do you think Paul Maurice uh, and what's it like to deal with him on a day-to-day basis? I know I certainly enjoyed his insight that he provided on my Who Coached the Coach. Uh, his his thoughts and recollections of his time with Tom Webster were just absolutely fabulous uh, this week. But, uh, I mean, what's it like for you to deal with him day-to-day, especially because you do the, the pregame interview on a daily ba- or on a game-by-game basis as well? Yeah, it, you, we have been so fortunate, as you mentioned. I mean, Claude was... You know, very different, obviously, than Paul, but it was so entertaining. I was laughing. Paul is entertaining, too. I mean, his sense of humor, but his insight and just the way that he, the time, I'm sure that the two of you find as well, just any setting. I mean, he, he answers he answers your questions. He doesn't just, regardless of really what the question is, even if he makes a sarcastic comment off the front or does anything, he he treats everybody with respect when they're asking it um, and tries to give you sight. And I just, I feel very fortunate when it comes out to be able to do those coaches interviews with him of saying, okay, this is, he does break down. He does talk to you about a variety of different subjects, but I just think that he's a good person as well, which I appreciate so much. And We'll talk about off camera before we start joke around about stuff or he'll come out and one day we were discussing the crew and I that were standing there was discussing my feelings on shepherd's pie, which <laughs> I don't hold it in high regard. And so we got into when he came out, we got into a discussion about shepherd's pie uh, so that I could start, you know, taking his opinion. on. It. And he just even though it didn't make it, it's not something that goes on camera. It's just the the back and forth. And he's more often than not relaxed when he comes out and and talks but sometimes you can certainly see um you can tell what uh, basically you can tell when you can joke around and ask about shepherd's pie and when it's probably not best and you just need to ask those questions and get out but he's uh, he is very fortunate and i was very happy to see him sign to another uh another contract because i think that he's he's somebody that i know that sometimes that fans can don't always appreciate and I think that eventually since we know that all coaches eventually move on to other places I think that he is somebody that eventually fans will look back at and not realize didn't really realize what they had until he's gone because um, the Winnipeg Jets I think the organization the city and the fans are very fortunate with the job that he has done and the type of person that he is with respect to the community. I think that one of the things that drives that one home for me the most is that, you know, um, you know, Ken does the the majority of the traveling for the Athletic Winnipeg, but I get to a few. And whenever I run into um, media from other markets getting to talk to Paul Maurice for the first time, they all tend to kind of rave about how, hey, he actually answered what I was asking or he, you know, he validated the mm-hmm. question that I asked. Um, so that's something I think on a day-to-day basis, I, I, I can find myself taking for granted too. This is the coach. This is the only one I've known in my career. Um, uh, but They're not all like this. <laughs> As Ken and I can Confirm. attest to. Confirm. I, I, and, and that's what saying is that, that he, that what he talks about, and I mean, right, with a lot of, stuff being when you look at it from more a uh, statistical standpoint or some of the different questions that you're asking that he gives such thoughtful answers to um, that not all coaches would necessarily um, devote that same sort of time or willingness to answer them to the extent that he does. He's, 
yeah, it's great. I think I, Sarah, let's just. Oh, pardon me. I just want to acknowledge my good fortune on that front that coming in and being unheard of <laughs> and asking an analytical question and getting an analytical answer, it, it's been good. Yeah. Yeah. Just a slight pivot, Sarah. I mean, just uh, walking down memory lane a little bit. I mean, for me, with the news this week that the community newspapers are going to shut down in so many small markets, it brings me back to my start at the Red River Valley Echo. I mean, for you growing up in Winnipeg, uh, I mean, what led you to want to pursue a career in journalism and maybe take us down the, the steps of that process as well? Well, it's all I remember wanting to do. So I always joke that it's a good thing that it's turned out so far because I don't really know what else I would be doing. I feel, I always say to my husband all the time, I feel very confident I could be successful in other areas as well, but I don't know exactly what they would be. <laughs> so um, I always wanted, it's what I always remember wanting to do. I loved, I used to watch a lot of different sports with my dad, uh, in particular on Sundays, you know, we'd watch a lot of football together. And I just, I remember always seeing broadcasters there that were that got to interview the players that were down on the field. And I used to think, what? It, how cool would that job be? You get to be right where the action is. And that was always what my goal was. It was never to anchor. I get a lot of people that ask about, you know, oh, you've never gone on to anchor Sports Center. And when I got hired at TSN, I actually had said, if your, if your idea is that one day I'm going to transition to be a Sports Center anchor, I am not interested in, I was working at um, the score in Vancouver as the Vancouver reporter at the time. And I said, I'm not interested in leaving if that's what you're thinking of doing. And said, no, if I wasn't interested in that, then that certainly wasn't something that they were going to push. Um, but I went to school at Simon Fraser University and got a degree in communications. Or got, I majored in communications with a minor in publishing. And while I was there, I started working with their sports department, volunteering, and because I knew nobody out there and it just kind of that led to meeting someone started working at a local television station there producing sports and uh, kind of just kept making the move up so I was very fortunate with how I did it but networked a lot in the beginning and just kind of that classic worked really hard for no money and volunteered tons if it meant that I got to get my face out there and got experience sort of thing and then was able to eventually move it into the roles with TSN that I've had. This might sound like an absurd question because you're the lead reporter for TSN Winnipeg and have been for some time, but do you feel like you've made it? Is there a moment where you feel in your journey that, okay, I am established, this is, I can put this on cruise control or is it a constant push of some kind? No, I think there's a constant push, or I think there should be, because if there isn't, then I think that is when complacency sets in, and that's a dangerous thing to have in any job. It certainly is um, in broadcasting. There's, you know, I'm I'm well aware of how rare these opportunities are when you look at how few positions there are um, that exist with TSN in this role, or you know, uh, just in. Canada in general and there's very little turnover um, as well so it's not as if the opportunities come through at a regular basis so I've I've loved what I've done but no I always look to continue to push and and do more and try to hopefully just continue to 
evolve and and take that next step whatever that next step is to keep things interesting because as much as I love it and people say and it's a great job there's certainly aspects of it that can become monotonous I mean I I love being at the rink the time but don't get me wrong like I mean morning skates after mid-season oh <laughs> they can <laughs> they can they can get kind of monotonous when you're going when you're going in there so just try to find different ways um, to try to keep things interesting and to keep myself engaged. I mean, I've been fortunate to work along with you for a number of years and I've known you since 2006 when we met at, in Vancouver at the draft. I remember there being a very close, <laughs> a very tight scrum uh, regarding the Roberto Luongo trade. And then the next day I introduced myself to you and we were both getting ready to talk to Jonathan Taves. Uh, I mean, what, what about the other part of it, Sarah? I mean, what's it like to be a role model for a lot of uh, females out there and also what's it like to see more women in influential influential positions across hockey like everything from the broadcasters to Florence Schelling getting the GM job with SC Burn recently I think it's fantastic um because I don't think that there I mean growing up I certainly there weren't a lot of women that I had to be able to look up to to say oh well this is something that I could do uh, I often tell the story of how my mom was somebody that used to really use the you go girl line which really bothered me when I was a teenager because I just thought oh this what how cheesy could this be and yet I've appreciated it so much as I've gotten older but she both my parents really instilled in me kind of that why not me sort of attitude um, which is something that I've used all along and that's something that I've tried when speaking to either younger girls, young women, or ones that are wanting to break into the industry that to have that confidence that you might not see, you know, you might see different roadblocks ahead of you, but someone is going to do this job. That's just, so why not me? And I've tried to, I've take it, especially being the mother um, of a young girl, I take it very seriously the idea of trying to kind of conduct myself or present myself in a way that would be a positive role model for girls because it's a crazy time. Anyone that has children or I think especially um, daughters appreciate that sometimes when you see everything that's out there now, whether it be in entertainment or social media, and there's all sorts of pressures and concerns that uh, that weren't there even I turned 40 this year. They weren't. Th they certainly weren't there when I was growing up. Uh, so to be able to hopefully give a role model that kids could look up to or that parents could look up to or parents could feel comfortable having their um, kids look up to is something that I certainly take seriously. And I love what I love seeing is that I'm always looking for role models still and I'm looking to see what other women have achieved. So I feel as if there's been a real change and a real shift in the last couple of years of women trying to empower each other and I think it's great to see because when you look at the television industry which is the only spot that I have experience in um, it's I mean it's an incredibly competitive industry and it's very competitive amongst women as well but I feel as if there's more of a sisterhood that people have been trying to form and create so that everyone can help each other as opposed to just trying to tear the other ones down and I think it's great to see so I love and I love looking and seeing when you look at women that are becoming 
agents, is sports agents, when you look at ones that are getting into hockey operations, with all sorts of stuff, I did coaching. I just think it's so inspiring for me to see because I, as I said, always try to look at the things and try to continue to advance myself and and to see the roles that they've done it and how they've gone about doing it, whether it be through education, their education path or what experience they've gone through. I just, I think it can be something that can be inspiring and enlightening, even if you're not in the sports world. Um, so, but it's great to see. One of the people who has recently taken a, a big step on that front and um, I, I kind of want to follow up on what you said just in a second here, but we're very proud to have Florence Schelling of SC Burn joining Craig Custance at the Full 60 this week at The Athletic. And uh, for those who don't know, yeah. she's the first uh, female GM of a men's professional hockey team uh, on the planet with SC Burn in Switzerland. And that's a, that's a huge guest and a, a huge get. So please check out the Full 60 with Craig Custance. Um, also, I mean, like Alex Mandricki leading the analytics team out of Seattle or, or Namita Nandakumar who got hired to, to do that sort of thing. I, I get inspired when I, I think somebody told me a lot of years ago that the good ones lift each other up. And uh, I don't see that necessarily across gendered lines in, the, in my own experience, sort of, you know, coming up the, the way that I have. One of the stories I wanted to sort of ask you about and is a time that when people ask me, oh, hey, is Sarah Orleski as nice as she seems? I tell them this story. <laughs> I don't know if you would remember it necessarily, but it's, it's a good example of a good person lifting people up. And I, I, I don't even remember the source of my stress anymore at this point. But I remember walking from the Jets room towards Matt Frost uh, Media Center at the at Bell MTS place at, at one point during my first season covering the Jets. And something had happened. I was stressing out. I I don't know what the context was, it was, but I was bugging out. And you keyed in on that and you noticed it. And we had a quick conversation um, where you sort of walked me through some of the, the interesting quirks of, uh, of your road to sort of feeling comfortable. And I'm wondering if you remember that, if you remember the story you told, and if I, you could go so far as to share it if you do. That's a lot of prompts, Sarah, but I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> uh, give me... Um, I don't remember the specific story that, can you give me, do you remember part of it? And I'll see if I can. You were navigating scrums, very crowded hockey scrums, and I believe that you were pregnant at the time. <laughs> was it when I was crawling through the scrums? Was that, when I, was that yes, the one? Yes, ma'am, that was exactly the one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, when I put my dignity to the side and, yeah, and literally crawled six months pregnant through a scrum. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> to get the job done. <laughs> for it. So I will, for, for instance, I, um, I had wonderful, so just quickly to back about, you know, whether it be role models or people lifting each other up. When I started in Vancouver, and I always say that I was so fortunate um, to start there because I had a tremendous group of male writers and broadcasters that uh, really lifted me up and that really helped me along that kind of all took, whether it be a big brother sort of role with me that was just so impactful and critical to my success. And so, you know, I've just, I've hoped that that sort of, that mentality has always stuck with me and I've hoped to be able to do that to others because it can be incredibly intimidating to walk into a, an environment like that when that's when it you're not familiar with it a as to kind of the general way that things run and then also as people that cover 
whatever respective beat it is, you're there all the time and you're with the same people. And so there's, it can sometimes be a, a difficult group to crack because everybody already has those stories and relationships are, and so I try to make sure that, you know, hopefully people feel um, welcome when they come into uh, ones in Winnipeg, but that particular story. So I was pregnant and I used to cover seemingly every Rangers Capitals playoff series that existed. Um, every year I, every year I seem to do them, which always made for some good times and some good interactions, especially with John Tortorella, that sort of thing. But with this specific one, Henrik Lundqvist was in a corner stall, which is the worst spot for a prominent athlete or player to be, because you obviously, you're not able, the scrum isn't able to get all the way around him or even, you know, make that semicircle so because the walls right there and it was a packed scrum and uh, anyways I needed to get my microphone in there and so I literally crawled through people like hands and knees it was not I mean my finest moment looking back on it but crawled through in order to be able to stick my microphone up and as I'm crawling through the um, the crowd of people. I just remember thinking, I may have made some very poor choices in my life to get me to this point. What am I doing right now? Um, but I was adamant I was early on still in my days at TSN and certainly wanted to make sure that I didn't miss out on, you know, getting one of the prominent players. So, yep, <laughs> hands and knees, crawled through and then trying to balance myself. And there was the pregnant lady. <laughs> But I haven't done that since, so maybe maybe complacency has set in a little <laughs> bit. Because <laughs> I, I I think I would be pretty reluctant now to be able to crawl through. I don't know if there are many. Some player would have to be. I'd have to think that there would be a pretty good comment for me to be willing to go that route again. But yeah, I certainly did it back in two thousand and eight or nine. Well, you got the job done. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can con I can confirm Sarah is an excellent teammate and always willing to go the extra mile, uh, both in the job itself and in helping to make feel people feel comfortable. That's for sure. Or uh, wow, that's very nice of you two to say. Yeah, I didn't necessarily mean to put you on it. To, if that if that's a like traumatic story in your memory, I didn't. That's, that wasn't what I was going for, but. When I have PTSD later today and I'm going back with the shakes, I'm going, what did I do? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> As people are looking at me, and there's me with my hand up. Yes, hi, I'm just going to just move through here. Uh-huh. <laughs> at this stage of the game, we give you this space because the I, I guess that's a, a sign of stature in the times since that time. Uh, Sarah, we could... I'm just... I I'm just more aggressive now with being, I joke with number of people that you know, I'm just more aggressive and either push my way in or make fun about how I'll take out someone at the knees if they don't, if they don't make room. <laughs> we'll have to protect ourselves. I, I, I got to say, we thank you so much for being on uh, today with us, with Ken and myself at the boarding pass. We could do this for an extended period of time, but my good friend Ken is a bit of a star and he's got many, many, no, I, I kid. Um, please come back someday. Please come talk to us again, despite the stories that I ask you to dig deep and, and, and share again. Uh, <laughs> such a welcoming person on the media scene and, and such a, a dominant force with TSN uh, as well. Thanks for being here today, Sarah. Well, thanks so much, and I obviously I love uh, the athletic website and the work that not only you two do in terms of covering uh, the Jets and the different 
things that are going on um, surrounding sports within the city, but just the website in general and the different sorts of content is is great. So thanks so much for having me on. And I'd love to come back anytime. Ken and I can discuss uh, <laughs> playoff runs with John Tortorella and yes. and various things like that. Tremendous. Lots of stories. And, That's right. And I've survived almost an hour without you uh talking about my diva like tendencies so it's it's a that's a win that's, that's a win for me you know what but that's that's how we keep people coming back for more we'll tell them that the next time part two of this interview is when we do a deep delve into what ken is like for weeb's world and when he does hits with me um for tsn i need this content so, yes please <laughs> exactly maybe we won't let ken be on that one We'll just surprise them with it after. Just the two of us. Sounds yeah. good to I'm me. I'm just joking. That's right. I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pleasure, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. I got to say, Sarah Orleski is one of the good ones. I love that story. I feel so bad I put her on the spot at the end with that, that little bit of a Washington-Pittsburgh series. But Ken, you've known her for so long and you've worked with her quite a bit as well. I mean, uh, what more can you say about uh, you know her taking the time for us and, and all the things that she's done? Yeah, just uh, an incredible person and an, an incredible human. I mean, she takes the the you know the role model uh, role seriously. I mean, there's that great story about the young girl who dressed up as Sarah Orleski for Halloween, and I mean that it just it's just amazing to see the impact that uh, she has on people uh, just from working with her. I mean, five months ago at the Bombers Grey Cup Championship winning parade, Sarah and I walked the route, and it was just amazing to see how many people, uh, especially young girls, want to have their picture taken with her. And Sarah's so kind and always posing for pictures with people and always has time to, to have a quick conversation. And yeah, I mean, not she's not just a good human being. She's an, in, she's an incredible worker. She's great at her job. She's one of the most versatile journalists um, around, uh, whether it's covering the Jets or Stanley Cup playoffs or the CFL or figure skating. So, I mean... Same thing in my, in my, not just in our line of work, but I mean, whether it's your hockey buddies or people that you run into, readers, listeners, they want to know if Sarah is really that nice. And I, I can confirm from myself and from being around her that, that she really is that, that kind of a great person. And, and the other part is she's great at her job, which, which is something that is also uh, important to note. I think she's just an outstanding worker and again, an incredible human being. Full stop, 100%. She also has, the number one seed in the Athletics' best play tournament at the Athletic Winnipeg right now. Patrick Laine's goal in overtime, capping off the hat trick and the comeback just after Austin Matthews got stoned. That was a Sarah Orleski vote. Um, other than that, Ken, I, I got to say, if people haven't checked it out yet, they've got to l- check out your Who Coached the Coach story about Paul Maurice and, and Tom Webster. Um, other than that, we might be we might be hooked for time at this point, Ken. It's been... Uh, a pleasure as always love uh, love getting the, that I love knowing that we'll still chat at length uh, for at least an hour every week at this point yeah it's uh, awesome thanks for uh, you know, another great show and uh, also for readers if you haven't checked it out uh, the who stays and who goes uh, for the Winnipeg Jets is up uh, Marat gave me enough plugs that you should also uh, check out that great piece uh, <laughs> on looking into the crystal ball to see what's going to happen uh, during the off season whenever it arrives hey uh Great teamwork right there. Distant, socially safe, distant glove tap to you. Um, at, at this point, 
I want to urge listeners to, to remember, we've introduced a comment section for each podcast episode, which is available at the Athletic app. I saw a few of you got in there with Todd Woodcroft's uh, guest spot last week, and I saw some comments building. So make sure you say hello. Let us know how we're doing. Also, please don't forget to rate and subscribe to The Boarding Pass on Apple. If you click on the show's URL at theathletic.com slash Pass, you'll get 40% off your subscription to theathletic.com. Uh, for Ken Weave, this is Murata Tesh. Thank you for listening to The Boarding Pass.